1: I love this interview so, so, so very much. I I love, um, I love a long game. You know, I love a long game. And I love someone who also appreciates nostalgia. And I love someone even more who isn't scared to just really love what they do and be a freaking fan of what they do and of their own life. And that, I think, is exactly... Um, those are all like the yummy parts of the conversation that that I have today with Christy. So let's just get in there. Let's just get in there, guys. You know, imagine I've got a wand and I'm doing the Disney ears in the corner. We're just diving right in. Diving right in. So please, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Christy Carlson Romano. I know that we were around... We lived in L.A. around the same time. And so I was trying to think okay. if we'd actually ever met. Like, I know that I like I, I know who you are. So I know that I've like been in Los Angeles and like seen you. But I'm trying to think yeah. if our paths have ever crossed or we've actually talked to each other as humans. And I don't know if they have.
2: Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. Your think name so. is obviously super uh, familiar. I'm trying to think about it like socially, not as you hey, know, no, a like socially. No, accomplished it's, it's, we
1: know so many <laughs> of the same. Oh, well, I don't know about that. But, um, but wait, like,
2: who do we know similar? Let's talk. Let's do it. Well, even just
1: like even just researching, like get you yeah. know getting to know you on the interwebs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, the, you obviously knew like Chris Marquette, who was like that oh, like yeah. that whole crew mm, I knew back yeah. in the day. And so yeah. I know, and like I would go to the Oakwoods back oh. in the day. You know, Candace, with, I like, didn't
2: realize that you were a fellow child actor alumna.
1: Oh, I was I even better. That. I was I'm a so hanger. No, I was a hanger on. So I wasn't actually <laughs> one of the child actors. I was just like one of the people that was like friends with them all, like happily. Just, I know like, them well. Sitting in the wings,
2: but, like, being like, ooh, we need to talk about this. This is you. You bring up a really. <laughs> A really great point. So I'm now curious. So were you trying to break into the business? And you what's your story there? I'm really curious. I mean, well, for anyone who who's listened to this podcast knows, uh, basically, I moved out
1: to LA when I was 16. I started off in music. Right. But when I moved there, I'd be I just happened to Okay, do you remember teen night? back in Hollywood. Yeah, of
2: course. I oh mean, my God, of course right. I do. Of course I do. Like, it was, was at it? that club. There was like one upstairs. Seven. Club
1: one seven. Club one seven. <laughs> Yes. Club <one> 17. <laughs> <laughs> like the Holy grail of like the Disney yes. and the WD oh. under 18 uh-huh. actors. I just have this like vivid memory of my first <laughs> time there going like back in the VIP room, which was just a room. Oh yeah. Just a room. <laughs> <laughs> and um and looking around and it was just like everyone from the disney channel and like my little brain exploded and then i remember going back out to where everyone was dancing and drinking their red bulls and it was like David, what's his name, from um, Seventh Heaven. And he was like... Sure, David Gallagher. Yes. And he was like making out with this girl who would become Megan Fox and like up against the (laughs) wall. And I was just like, first time in Hollywood. And I was like, where am I? This is cooler than any high school party I've
2: ever been to. It was... A hundred percent. That's so funny. You know, that is so (laughs) wonderful, though. Because like, I think you make a really good point. So I always talk about this on my podcast, where people don't really account for what we see in meme culture and tabloid culture, right? And it's like really the tip of the iceberg. It's like one of those things where it's like, you see the iceberg on the top, it's like tiny, but on the bottom, it's like this huge, like ice formation uh-huh. underneath the water. And so like part of like everything that we experience, it, it, it affects other people too. So like, for example... Um, you were a part of that ecosystem in, in that role that you played then, right? And yeah. I mean, you were obviously just as talented. You had <laughs> every right to be there. But in your mind, you're like, wow, like I, I, this is crazy. Oh, I loved it. That's my favorite. Me.
1: Like, I'm still that person. Like, if I go to an event, I am in the corner <laughs> with a cocktail, just like hiding, like a little, like Aww. a little meerkat, like the, you know, at the zoo, I just like that. pops its head out and then just like hides and watches all the people and other meerkats. Like, that's how I and like to And now that I drive. know that
2: about you, I'm going to go and hug you when I see you. No. Like, <laughs> and I'll be a like, ah,
1: <laughs> don't break my cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, but i it's uh yeah no i uh so i i was friends with everyone in the business and so i got this yes. like beautiful opportunity to reap the benefits of like going to premieres when premieres were like a real thing back in the day mm-hmm. and yeah. like just hang out eat all the free popcorn and just candy and not have to worry about any of the, like the stress of people trying to like feel important. And I was just like, cool, open bar at
2: 17. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> no one cared. No one That's cared. The truth. No Nobody, one like, cared. No, everybody just minded their business. Yes,
1: they did. <laughs> um, well, how old were you when you moved to L.A.? So I know obvi- you, you grew up on the East Coast. I you, did. Yeah. You started very young. You uh, started auditioning very young. Um, and I also just want to acknowledge you're the third, I know we're going to talk about like child acting
0: a bit and you're the
1: third child actress with the three name. And I just love, I've had like (laughs) Melissa Joan Hart, my girl here in Nashville. Uh, I just had, um, my, my gal pal, Rachel Lee Cook on not too long ago. And I'm just like, Oh, I always wanted that like three name. And Christy Carlson Romano. I did. Thanks. Well, because well, I always, like, grew up, like, making out with my JTT posters. I mean, Devin Sawa didn't yes! technically have three names, but, oh, man. like, he should Devin have. Devin Sawa, still crushing it. Still, still crushing it. He's, like, yeah. all
2: over Twitter. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but,
1: you, but you started very young. You were part of this, mm-hmm. um, like, of, like, a very, you know, small group who have had this very long career and had a very unique experience as a child. Uh, youngest of four, East Coast, did you come to your mom or your dad or your parents and say, I want to go to an audition? You were, or were you discovered? Were you scouted? What was, what was the the inciting incident of you becoming a child actor? Hoo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> Just the one, I know. Just the one, because I'm. I know it gets like it's like that that first little domino, though. Because I've heard from many people that they were just really young and were like, "I want to audition," and then just like booked it.
2: And I'm like, "Well, that's crazy." (laughs) No, exactly, totally. That's absolutely crazy. And you you mentioned Chris Marquette. Shout out to him. He actually had a podcast for a minute with AJ Troth from Even Stevens that was called The Coogan Chronicles. <laughs> and they were interviewing a lot of child actors. And I had told them, guys, you know, I'm, I'm going to be leaning into my own podcast, which may cover some of this stuff. But um, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful podcast Chris had. You know, I grew up with Chris Marquette. Um, and for those of you who don't know him, he was on Even Stevens for like an episode, a Christmas episode or a Hanukkah episode. Um and it was like the bad version of Louis Stevens, um, Shia's character. But, but Chris and I actually were in Broadway kids together back in New York City when he was literally half the size. He was a tiny man, tiny little guy, and somehow grew uh, over the years. But, um, I knew him for so long, Candace. Like he is one of those people that grew up around me in the New York, theater kid world. And so when we talk about dominoes, um, theater for me was the largest domino in my childhood towards getting the big break that would eventually be Disney. Um, And theater is inherently what I think I tend to feel sometimes the most challenged to go back to, but also the most rewarding and comforting. Um, but I started with dance competitions, you know, because I was the youngest of four, my sisters were all doing that stuff. And my mom would say that it was all for sports and stuff, but it wasn't, we weren't, (laughs) it was dance moms, you know, it was very much a dance mom's world that I grew up in. And I started doing pageants, even when I was, you know, already acting and doing theater. Um, so it was always the competitiveness was always sort of bred into the psychosis of what me being a creator meant.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, And how old were you
1: when you moved to L.A.? Because I know you, you, you were working a lot in theater. You even traveled mm-hmm. with a touring uh, Broadway production. Um, mm-hmm. You had a very successful, um, very young. Cre- and by the way, when we're saying that you did all this, you were like seven, eight nine years you were you were a child so I just want so anyone picturing like you being this like sprightly 20 something year old no 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 no. you were like (laughs) like Lisa Frank I'm sure rocked your world at that time you know that you were you were very young in this very adult world um Mm -hmm. and that would obviously continue so what was the shift between being on the east coast to moving to LA how old were you
2: Sure. So I had been an original member of a play called Parade, which is like killing it on Broadway right now. It's come back all these many years later. And I was 14 at the time. Um, It was a Lincoln Center theater production, which meant that it was not, it wasn't like for profit. So when one of our producers went bankrupt, they had to fire us all and shut down the play early. And so for me, that had been my first big break as being an original you know, cast member on a Broadway show. Um, And I was kind of devastated by that, but my mom was always like, okay, and then what? And now what are we doing? What's the next step? She was very much an Aries that way. And so <laughs> she was like, we're taking the money that they gave us because they gave us severance pay. And we went out to LA and I had been in the business, right? Since I was six and a half. Um, so that's all those years leading up to this moment. Brought me to pilot season at, you know, 14 years old. And did you guys um, stay at the Oakwoods? Oh my God, that's such a good question. <laughs>
1: And so, that for I'm anyone listening sure that doesn't understand did. what the Oakwoods are, it's like this infamous, um, like place in the Valley of Los Angeles, right by Warner Brothers Studio in Burbank, uh, and basically, almost every young child actor that came through L.A. usually with their mom would stay at the at the Oakwood Apartments because they were like this temporary, short-term stay where you could also get all the furniture rented as well. Like I remember, everyone called them also the Smokewoods. They called like it was a very unique. <laughs> Place. like you'd go into the little laundromat there and there'd be like raven <laughs> hillary like everyone's picture up on the wall like
2: it was the craziest oh weirdest little apartment <laughs> complex yeah. ever i i'm shocked i mean i think that they did some sort of a like 1990s documentary on that place but it wasn't like <laughs> there needs to be a real like expose on that place <laughs> So yes, I probably did stay at the Oakwoods. And um, I had about 10 auditions, one of which was even Stevens. You know, that was it. I booked that Disney pilot. And a year later, uh, when I turned 16, actually, because I was about 14 and a half, we were on the set as one of my first days as, you know, this co-star on my own TV show. And so it was almost like, oh my God, my adolescence just blew by, but it was all of this like, this learning and skill making and, and hustling that I had been doing for years and years and years and years and years, but in New York. So coming to LA was like, what is this place? Who are these people? What What is like Hollister? You know, <laughs> what's this surf culture and weed smoking and stuff? So it was a very different person then.
1: <laughs> did you have friends in the industry back on the East Coast or back in when you moved to the West Coast? Like, did you have other friends who were actors or
2: i didn't really have any friends i think that having a stage parent that was as uh, devoted as mine um, i think it made it hard for me to understand how to socialize uh you know I, I i had friends in my performing arts school back in new york where i was still going and they were sending me you know homework correspondence through fax at the time because that's that's how fucking old i am <laughs> and and so basically i was doing that homeschool with a uh, with like a Flagship school back in the East Coast. And they were great. I mean, that's what they were set up to do. They're the professional children's school and they're still there and highly functioning, wonderful school. Um, And so I, I didn't see friendship the way that, especially when it came to kids in the business, I couldn't be friends with kids in the business. It wasn't even because I was competitive, it was because I wanted a normal life more than anything else. Did you have that though? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think like,
1: okay, if as long as I stay away from everyone in the business, then I can like work my way to having also a normal life. But then also w- when you're working on, and I imagine, I, I mean, I, I didn't start working as an actor until... 18, 19, which in Hollywood years is is old. That's middle-aged as a young lady, especially back in that time. But
2: That's middle-aged. Um, i age. Actually of age.
1: <laughs> of age is middle age. I yeah. love that. But um <laughs> but for for me, by the time I actually was working and on a set, it it like it, I did not have I was not part of a machine. Whereas that I think is what is very unique to the years in which you were a part of the Disney making you know, star making machine is a very unique experience from those who came before and those who have come after since that you did not, you know, the ones who are more recent have had the ability to control a version and a narration of their story without the stress of, I think, morality. I think everyone's kind of like grown from that and accepted that, you know, kids are going to grow into young adults, which I feel like your generation of like Disney uh, talent did not get that opportunity. They just wanted to keep everyone and capitalize as long as possible and as much as possible. So I would imagine you were part of a machine. Like in my mind, it is not just working on a show. You're also there filming promos. You're doing all the extra spots. I mean, Disney is an an entire network that they have to fill all those time slots. And so I imagine you were very, very busy during these formative years of your life where, where children are actually programmed to socialize. Like if we've learned anything from watching teenagers in 2020 and when we all had to shelter in place, that is going against their biology like they are actually you are programmed to need to socialize with other teenagers at that point so are you able to look back and like
2: understand now like did you have time to go make friends at that point i mean i think you bring up an amazing point that i've not even unpacked yet right i mean i think that's partially why vulnerable becomes this this little hotspot of having these kinds of conversations because it's such a complex thing to look back on. And it's wonderful that people are interested in talking about it and the nuances of it, because there's so many people who've had, you know, very niche experiences that don't have a platform to be able to unpack them and get the kind of support that I get from my fans, my supporters, folks like you, who were, were coming up on, you know, behind me, Like, that's just so wonderful that I get the chance to share this with you in a meaningful way. And I mean, I think, and like you said, like, I think that this is something that hasn't gone away. And with new media, uh, people are experiencing this more so because they become a viral sensation on their phone. And it's like, wait, I was normal uh, a week ago. And how do I deal with that? And what are the, you know, we don't even know what the ramifications of somebody being TikTok famous when they were a teenager is. You know, in ten years' time, or what that will do to their, you know, chances like living a normal life, or the trauma that ensues from that. So, I am very interested in how these all have sort of almost like a a common thread, right? of mm-hmm. of of development and and there's a part of me that really wants to almost like go back to school and try to learn how to truly help rather than just advocate and and unpack like what we're talking about. It would be so great if I actually, you know, put my money where my mouth my mouth was and 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 like really got a degree in childhood development or trauma therapy. So I, I do believe that I, I I kind of took your question and ran with it in a different direction. So please remind me of your question <laughs> Just so like, I can answer look, it. No,
1: look, but looking back, did you even have time? To make friends, you know, talking about like, uh-huh. right. like getting there and, and like wanting to have a normal life and not wanting necessarily to have friends yeah. in the business. I mean, when I moved to LA at sixteen, I mean, I it's not like I sought, sought out to make friends in the business. I I just like right. fell into this friend group and everyone knew everyone and everyone. Like, if I wanted to hang out with my friend on a Wednesday, I was usually hanging out on a set or or someone else's mm-hmm. set. And then if you know, I was doing schooling. Online or not online, because that. But I was doing the same thing what you're you were doing, like faxing in and you know through right. correspondence and and I yeah. had a buddy on a sitcom, so I would go into school with him on his set, so we wouldn't just be like alone and it, and I didn't even try. It, it's like you just fall into the like this group of kind of like. The what is it, the, the, mis, the misfits toys in the (laughs) story, this island of misfit toys, but it's children like in these insane, like very professional realms. So I could imagine Mm -hmm. like trying to have friends that are just like not in the industry in LA would have been very difficult at that time. But would you even have had time to do that knowing that you were on insane TV filming hours, like Mm -hmm. lead of a show, um, and also doing your school and then, and then yeah. also trying to hustle, also making the little Mickey Mouse ears. I can't even imagine how many hours <laughs> that takes.
2: It was like an afternoon because we were one of the first, <laughs> we were the first people to do it. And uh, I feel like I'm a, <laughs> I'm a pioneer of the <laughs> Mickey Mouse ears. It's so weird. Um, I, I, I definitely collected friends on set, I would say. Um, my closest friend was Lauren Frost for a bit. Um, and she played my best friend on the show. So it was... You know, like, it was life imitating art. You know her from Chris and Margot, probably. I'm they were like, like all the of these names. Memes. Yes, all of these names.
1: Like, yeah. I've definitely been in the social groups with all of It's like, it's all fuzzy. It's amazing. <laughs> I had a very a good, good time. They're good like, people, too. Yeah. Like,
2: Lauren, Chris. Chris was a really good boyfriend to Margot. And I love, and AJ, obviously, AJ Troth was a really good friend. So, you know, I think there was really, there was a good group of people that unfortunately I think were a little younger than me. Yeah. And so I didn't get that benefit. So I was a little bit older for the Disney Channel. Um I was focused on, well, how the heck do I get out of here mm. uh, at a certain point? And I would I didn't like studio teachers. I tend to not like them. I think that they're probably not all bad. I just think that they, they we it is very loaded situation with the studio teacher thing because I know that there's a lot of people that are trying their best, but a lot of people, Go in, and they're just collecting their time and their paycheck, and they don't care about the kids, and they fudge numbers to production, and and you know they're they're not just not good at what they do. So I ended up going back home and doing um, a different TA from UCLA to teach me my schoolwork in each subject every single day, and then on the weekends I would film Kim Possible in the studio, and I would then do SAT prep. And driver Zed or something like on the weekends. So it was very much a, let's hurry up and try to also live my life at the same time as hurrying up and trying to be, you know, as famous as possible at the same time. So I did not get a lot of downtime to focus on what I did not have. But I do think there was an there there was this inherent lack of socialization that I definitely had. Yeah.
1: Did you like it at the time? Like now looking back, do you look back and did you actually enjoy it? Because this was also a very weird time in L.A. where like paparazzi culture was really big. I mean, we're talking like also the early aughts. Like it just was it was a different type of like fame that everyone was chasing. And Mm -hmm. it was it's not like it is today where everyone gets to kind of just like create this Brandon kind of take the reins of their own career and and their identity mm-hmm. themselves. It was what can I be in order for someone to notice me, and who do I need mm-hmm. to be like? And at a very young age, and also I'd imagine kind of the oldest young person on a Disney show, where you're getting notoriety and fame, but you also are ready to be a young adult as well but you have to kind of walk this line. Like, were you there enjoying it or were you there going, but what's the next thing? But what's the next thing? And how do I be, what's the next strategy? What's the next move?
2: Yeah, I think I wish I would have done that more because I didn't have a strategy. I didn't have an exit strategy or an exit plan. And I had no, uh, you know, social media, media did not exist. And so what happened was, is I left to go to college and even though Disney used me for Broadway, which was it's, it's it was an amazing achievement at the time, I was you and know you did Beauty and the Beast, right? I did, yeah, yes, I was yeah for yes. like eight months. Well, and it was not I the Beast. I, I had a feeling you were not the Beast. <laughs> 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 I was a spoon number two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there there are no small actors. There are no small parts. <laughs> right? There's no small part. Um, basically, I I was thinking more conventionally. I wasn't thinking about my brand. And I wasn't having an agent that was like, you know, this is what you have to lose. I think I truly wanted to leave Hollywood, uh, but wanted to come back to it like on my own terms. And the problem was, is that when you're, (laughs) what I didn't understand, right? Because the Disney machine, as you know, it is you get off the show and you already have three or four different projects lined up. Whereas I was like, What? I I just got a series. I'll figure it out. Like, I'll go to college. I'll be like Claire Danes. Like, I'll just do whatever I want to do. But that's not how it works in the early aughts, you know, early Disney machine days. You needed to be like there, willing to do anything with your image and um, date somebody so that you could be seen in a certain light and appealing and go uh, immediately to like Maxim and like all of that stuff used to be very much the pipeline of how to
1: become a young woman in Hollywood. And, it, and it's true. Even when I had Melissa on, she talked about her Maxim cover that, like, threw a big wrench in <laughs> it. Like, like, that was... That's, it, these are these are actual things. I was 17, 18 being told at, my at like, a record label that, like, they would give me a release date when they saw me in a magazine on the arm of someone they thought was important. And, like, these were conversations. Yep. Yeah. So these are... These, I, like... These are, yeah. This was it was a different time, different time. <laughs> so just so you know,
2: everything thing. that you're
1: saying, yes, this is. I I I understand. I'm. I heard. I heard that language. I still don't understand it, but it was being spoken to me and many other young women as well.
2: We were just like, what? I think yeah. all of us collectively. Well, I, I really wish we would have all gotten together, had like women's support meetings or tween adult tween actor, you know, or just like, what it, did your guy tell you? That? Well, maybe we should say fuck off to all yeah. these guys. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was tough.
1: It was tough. <laughs> so you go to college. I mean, I, there, I my the intentions of this podcast, the I, the idea of a super bloom is like the, the, all the magic stuff happens in the dirt and from the rain, the rainy Ooh. period. And, and on the other Love side that. is the blossom. Now, every time I have a guest on, there is not always like that is not always the through line. But I was so excited to sit down with you today because I have had like so I um, I opened this this podcast series with very much just admitting that I've been in the dirt. And so I was just so excited to mm-hmm. get to the dirt with you specifically because I think it's so beautiful what you've done recently in mm-hmm. your career and um, but i want to talk about this really yummy period of life that i'm sure while you were in it was maybe a little bit more stressful and not necessarily Ooh, yummy um, this I yummy love that. <laughs> but, but you you exit the show you've had this great career on the disney channel not only on the series but movies animated series mm-hmm. you've become uh, you were your face of the the network for really prominent mm-hmm. years and you do decide to go to college. And can you like when you were entering your 20s, were you looking forward at all? Were you looking backward? What was the feeling that you, were you chasing a feeling or were you trying to release a feeling?
2: So yeah, I do believe that I was chasing the next thing. I think that comparison really disconnected me from my creative purpose and um, my drive. There's an article I wrote for Teen Vogue called My Private Breakdown, um, where I started to become vulnerable with folks by writing this article, right? And I talk about tapes that start to play in my head around this time that you're talking about right now. And these tapes are super toxic, and they're just like telling me little by little, they're getting louder and louder and louder about how I'm not good enough, how I'm not... You know talented enough, and how just horrible, horrible things and I just felt like I didn't have any answers and so I eventually made a YouTube um video on my channel about a lot of different moments in this time, this yummy, dirty time and I went to a psychic or actually a psychic approached me at the stage door, and we started to have a relationship that was mostly transactionally based, and it costed me tens of thousands of dollars and it, it was Did they devastating. approach you? They're not supposed to, right? I think that's like the no-no. But yeah, they've. I've, I've had me. so
1: many people like slip me, be like, "Hey, I see something," and I'm like, <laughs> "But, but also, it is so specific to time in life." It is so specific to time in life. And it, when you are in a vulnerable state, it's the same reason, like, I understand why people get sucked into cults. Like, anyone that's like, how does that happen to normal people? It happens so easily because we all get in mm-hmm. these very vulnerable times where you can feel alone and you just need one person to say, like, hey, this is going to work out. I got you. Like, you are seen. Mm-hmm. Let me show you. Let me hold your hand through this. And uh, mm-hmm. it can happen so easily. And especially, I mean, how old are you at this point? I was. Uh, 19. Yeah, 19, 19 years old mm-hmm. with a bunch of money trying to exercise a version of adulthood, which you haven't even been able to figure out on your own. So there is like some, you know, you've been surrounded by adults, but you've never actually had to be one like on your mm-hmm. own in real life. Right. So it makes mm-hmm. complete sense why something like this would happen. And I've also heard this happen with other people I've known in the industry from when they were young and just got like approached by a psychic in a very vulnerable situation. And it is wild to me, but it does happen because you also look at how much you, you were financially successful. So young, that you think like, Oh, well, this is just is how it, this is how it works. It'll just keep coming. And so you, you meet this psychic, they completely take yeah. advantage of you. Um are you still yeah, going sure. to school through this period of time?
2: I left school. I went on professional leave for Beauty and the Beast and like right after Beauty and the Beast I had signed with ICM and um I was, you know, on this really great I thought returning to Hollywood train that had a book deal and a record deal uh and I was signed to Atlantic and um uh, it was just a really interesting time when I went back to California when I was like 19 and 20 and I ended up getting into a relationship with someone that it was just very toxic. And, uh, it kind of made me choose like the relationship or my stage parent and actually my entire family because of money and, um, you know, just like uh, stuff that that person should not have been involved with and basically told me, like, you need to pick. And I went from kind of one codependent relationship to another codependent relationship. And during that new relationship, I wasn't allowed to kiss people, like, in movies. And um, it was, like, really stressful um, to kind of be like, but you're my everything now because I don't have the family. And I I think that it really messed up uh, that period of time that could have otherwise been creative, collaborative with my team, uh, you know, strengthening, like stuff like that. If I had had some really great, um, support, uh, I think it could have been, I think it could have been really great. But again, it's like how many years has gone by where I now get to benefit off of all of these experiences, right? Like you were saying, the super bloom is like, Wow. Yeah. And, and
1: it it happened. Like if you like, unfortunately, like that does happen. It's usually not at the expense of a lot of jobs and a lot of opportunities. But the shoulda, coulda, mm-hmm. wouldas are such a waste of time because what happened happened, at, at you know, regardless. Uh, how long were you in that relationship?
2: So that relationship was a year and four months. And then I kind of ended up going to an acting class after I was dumped and found another psychic for more answers. And that person also took some money. Yeah. And then I basically just I think it was like um, it was a really weird time, girl. Like, I think it was the pressures of, you know, like at that time in the aughts when you're having people be like, you need to be sexier. And then you're like, "Okay, but. But I need to also find love. And so you have all these guys around you and you're just like, okay, you. And like that person is not a complete person. <laughs> They're not going to fix everything. Yeah. So I ended up with another person from an acting class uh, for, about, uh, for and I was engaged to both of these guys, by the way. And um, I think that it was just a weird time. Like I was not stable and I was drinking.
1: Which I know you've talked a lot about your sobriety, but just going back, so you've talked about your your experience as a child actor and how and while I've heard such you said such wonderful positive things that I want to just point out about the fact that your mom always encouraged you to take schooling very seriously, made sure you were getting a really good education on sets, which doesn't always happen and like that, that's a beautiful thing to have. Um, do you kind of look back and reflect and, and see? the potential for the fact that maybe you had this what to what you were saying, like a codependent relationship with your mom. And then kind of like when people like go straight from moving out of their house, right into getting married, like you have to jump from one house to the next house just to like, instead of having that kind of period of time to really be by yourself and alone and stand on your own two feet.
2: Yeah. I think that, I jumped around a lot and tried to find a lot of support from a lot of different people. And um, I eventually did find my support system and my husband and he's now my producing partner and um, he's everything that I could have ever hoped for. And he wasn't perfect when I first met him, but We've built something together, so I did find what I was looking for. That's yes. like that's the and later and, and later like, on, yes, and later on, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. when
1: you were when you when you were still in LA, because I know you ended up going back to school, but in LA in yeah. that period of time like i I think what drives me nuts sometimes now, and especially like and I and i'm f- I'm fine with it. It's more just like, come on, it's the most redundant question, but when people are just like, what are you doing and what's the next thing and what's the next thing? Oh yeah, and of course, it would be it would be lovely to be working on a film set all the time, but I also know that like I for me, I've always valued like from day one, I like I know that I've there are, I've made I've made choices that have prioritized uh family life, life with my friends, um personal just personal life in general because I've just Yeah, you I live in n- Nashville. Right? Emo- yeah, I live in Nashville. I personally <laughs> Best have always choice needed you ever that made. balance. I know, and I'm still <laughs> pretty new but I I love it. Um so happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. But uh you know, in that period of time were you still working? Were you trying to like what? What was your state of mind at that period? Were you still trying to chase this? I like this kind of false narrative of what other people told you you needed to be because I feel like I went through a period of that in my you know mid twenties and even once again in my, when my, the show that I worked on a series for eight years. And when that ended, I had Mm -hmm. the identity crisis of just like, now what? I feel like this is a path I should be doing because this is what people will think is like shiny and fancy and like what I should be doing. But this is what I know I need to do. But then what, where does the want fit into both of these? And it's, it, it takes a lot of time to sort through And I, and I experienced all three versions of that. (laughs) Like definitely lived in the, the should, the should you know, break down. But were you going mm-hmm. through a period of like what you should be doing by like what people think, you know, famous Christy from the Disney Channel should be doing to establish her new career now, like what you should be doing to keep mm-hmm. up, be keeping mm-hmm. up with the Joneses. Um, were you mm-hmm. happy being in the business? Were you still filming? What did your life look like
2: in this kind of in-between period of time? So I really did love being on set. I'd say up until, I don't know, last couple of years, I wanted to be a director. um, And when I went to an acting class and they started teaching us production and how to put ourselves on tape for things, I realized, you know, with certain assignments, they gave us, oh, wow, directing's really great. And then I had dated a director and I was like, oh, like I can do a better job than he can. So I should do this someday. And so there was these like little like bits of like, feelings of, wow, I could do something, right? Like I felt like, well, I could go back and finish my degree and I could go back to theater and I could, I could have a very different lifestyle, but there was something and people generally were like, you can never leave LA. You cannot leave LA. If you leave LA, you're DOA. And, and I are, felt trapped without knowing that I felt, true. Tra- do you
1: know what I'm talking no, about? The first year that I filmed uh, the Vampire Diaries, we filmed in Atlanta. And so I went mm-hmm. to Atlanta, which I loved. I had family there. We had the best time ever. Like, it was great. We were all working. We had a fantastic time. And I went back to L.A. for the hiatus summer for a little bit and took some generals. And they were like, what do you do In these general meetings, you go into an executive's (laughs) office and you meet with like a, a very big executive at a network or a studio and just so they can get to know you for anyone that doesn't know what it is. And so I'd go in and they'd say, what do you do out in Atlanta? Is there anything to do? I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a huge corporate city. Like Delta's based there, Coca-Cola. Like, it's a very bustling, like major city. Like Marfa, it's Texas, not. Yeah, like, it's not yeah. a tiny town. It's pretty freaking like huge. So, uh, and then now yeah. it's like another mini Hollywood, which is hilarious now. But right. it, but it was. Yeah. There was a period of time where people were like, "You live in L.A., New York." Or like London, and that's it. Otherwise, yeah. I don't know how to talk to you. What do you do?
2: <laughs> it's a really confining, it's a confining thing. And and like granted, I was hopping around LA and New York a lot because my family's from Connecticut. So I would go into New York and I would try to do things work-related, but also got, like commute back to my house in Connecticut. And so, you know, I think like eventually after I got that one relationship out of the way, <laughs> um, I, I reconnected with my family and I think I did have, um, a healthier relationship because I had set a boundary where I was like, you can't cross, uh, this and I can't have you in my professional life anymore. Um, and with that your was mom, very hard. Who and, was your manager yeah. growing up? Yeah. yeah. Which was very and I had Yeah. Uh, I had, I would say she was my personal manager because I had a manager um, at Rolstein Gray and he was very passive and and very sweet, but like wasn't aggressive um, and didn't strategize at the time that he probably should have. But he was also not a problem. You know what I mean? Like he was a nice guy. And uh, my mom uh, didn't know what to do either. So I felt like she failed me. So I think that's why when I was so... Capable of setting this first, by the way, first boundary I had ever made in my entire life against my family. It felt like such a tragedy. I, I, it felt like a death of, of each family member. And I had to live with that every single day. And so, you know, when that relationship ended and I was 21, I, I think that's when I started binge drinking. I'm trying to think, no, that's not true. I've been drinking in college too. I was definitely like, in the early 2000s, if there wasn't a song that was about uh, going to the club and doing shots, I don't know what song it was. Like, yeah. it pretty much was drinking and the culture of alcoholism was like
1: everywhere. Kesha, I mean, you're, like you're you are talking to it. someone who, who got her fake ID on Alvarado Street with, the, it was a Washington ID I mean, with an Iowa address. But yeah, it was, where did you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got it taken though at, um... Uh, Alvarado was where everyone went to yep. go get their fake IDs. Yep. I'm sure you could probably still go there, but don't, don't, don't. you know, <laughs> <laughs> you d- don't, don't get fake IDs and illegal. drink children. Yes. <laughs> and they're much harder and, to like fake um, now. <laughs> I would imagine. And, and also, yeah, I think that's like way more serious. They're way more serious yeah. about it post nine 11. And <laughs> I went with my brother and I was probably like, I was probably like 20 or something at the time when I went and we went to the, the sunset. Uh shoot, what's that thing with the riding, the bull, the mechanical bull?
1: Oh yeah. Um I know uh oh gosh, for anyone listening, it was featured in Sex in the City. I feel like everyone's back there now. It's like the sunset saloon. No, Mel, do you know what we're talking no. about? Saddle ranch. Saddle, saddle
2: ranch saddle ranch. Yes. Saddle ranch. So and it can everyone's ranch. going to the saddle ranch again. Fucking Catalina wine mixer. So (laughs) yes, it's Saddle Ranch and somebody, this guy, and my brother was with me and he was able to get it back actually from the, from, because my brother was, my brother and I are still close, but he visited me and he would, uh, want to, you know, like use me as a wing woman a lot of times and Saddle Ranch (laughs) took my Alvarado ID. So I feel you. Have you you seen the
1: Disney channel?
2: (laughs) Need my sister. You single? (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> no, it was a it was that's very funny. No, Alvarado. Yeah, that's where that's where everyone was getting their fake IDs. They're um fake and IDs. But no, it, the drinking culture was definitely um much different. And I feel that. Even like I like now I've been, I was like a I was an I was an adult in a project I did, like a real grown up where there were like young, young people and then I was like the old person. And I'm like, and they're, and they're all of age. They're all in their, they were all in their early 20s, mind you. But I just was like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. are we all going out? Like, it's Friday night and, you know, my kids are back home. And like, look, you nice. know, and everyone's like, no, we're all getting rest. And I just was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's what your generation That's does. A, good for you. That's the thing.
2: Good for it's you. It's because they're stressed the fuck out. They are so stressed out, Candice. They have <sighs> like, oh my God, these Gen Z, it's just so hard. Are you Gen Z?
1: No, I'm a 95. millennial. 95. You are a millennial. Okay, you're great. Oh yeah, I, no, I don't no 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 no. I was 90. I'm an 80. I'm an 80s baby. No. Yeah, no I'm great. We're, we're, okay, millennials. So we're millennials.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. an elder millennial though, too. which what is what terrifying. Do you mean, how um, old are you? I know. 84
1: was me. <laughs> you're 84 years old? No, you're 84. born in 84. <laughs> <laughs> feel
2: 84. <laughs> yeah, I was Same. born in 84. Hey, Martha
1: Stewart is 81 on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So I have I am Can ready. Can we get
2: some snack ready. I oh, am
1: I'm now I'm like bring her. it on. Let's do it. Um, but yeah, because I, I love her so much. I love her. It's so, so much. I so I shouldn't, but I do. I oh, just I she went it. to my college. I just want her to smother like next sports illustrated. I want her to like smothering caviar all over her body. Like it's sunscreen. Like yes. she, the way she posts about caviar is just my favorite <laughs> thing in the whole world. It's just all day. No, She's so just always eating caviar and post some thirst traps. I'm like, that is, yes, that's bitch. the new goal. Yes. That's the
0: freaking goal.
1: I do love how um you've talked about your sobriety and 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 how mm-hmm. it's not only uh, obviously for your health, wellness, emotional health, but also the clarity that it's brought and and really you reflecting back on your childhood stardom and you working as a child actor. Can you talk a little bit about um especially I think it's important when women talk about sobriety because it is so ingrained in female culture like rosé all day. And, and, I, and I've had, especially coming off of 2020, I feel like more and more women are talking about, you know, their relationship with alcohol. So can you share a little bit about, you know, when you realized you had a relationship with alcohol that did not serve you and, and, and then also about how that started connecting you with, you know, looking, reflecting back on your
2: younger self? Wow. That's an amazing question. Um, yeah, I think, I think I was going to make the joke of like Rosé all day and all that stuff kind of just keeps us compliant as women. If you're looking at it through (laughs) like a quote unquote feminist lens, it's like, okay, I have to drink wine because I've had a really rough day of domestic labor and I have no support. Um, but ultimately, (laughs) you know, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, but I personally, I really appreciate mocktail culture which seems to be popping up more and more as people are sober curious it's called Mm -hmm. and i am all about it i will push that all day every day because i love a mocktail even though they're kind of expensive i kind of want to like i want to do my own mocktail class and like find a way to like make amazing mocktails because they are they're out there they're all over austin anytime i go out to eat here i'm sure nashville has a bunch of them too yep Uh, But Atlanta doesn't because Atlanta is a small, small town. Yeah. Tiny, tiny,
1: (laughs) tiny town Atlanta.
2: One day when they get that next stop sign, (laughs) that third (laughs) stoplight. Basically, I was a binge drinker all through my 20s. I was a club rat. Like I loved going out because, again, lack of social skills uh, mixed with probably a lot of anxiety, performance anxiety and wanting to just dissociate as I feel like child actors are groomed to do is to not really be in our bodies and to accept that much rejection. Um, I think actors as a whole dissociate probably more um, than we realize. But so I think generally speaking, I had patterns of drinking that were extremely toxic to uh, my clarity and my mental health. And so um, I was married and my husband mentioned it to me, like anytime we would have a fight, he would be like, you know, this was tied to your drinking. And I was like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Meanwhile, I was also going to Al-Anon for many years. So I was going for like families, family members. And I learned about the 12 steps and I learned about what it was like to have a sponsor. And um, I saw some sides to program that I really did not like that felt very predatory to me, especially when it came to like, you know, men in the program. And that was Al-Anon. And so for me, when I started to approach sobriety, I knew the steps and I knew that a higher power needed to take sort of like take over and I needed to like give it up to that higher power to like kind of change and take accountability. But it took a lot of therapy with my husband when I was pregnant with my first daughter to make the choice to then stay accountable uh, because it wasn't like I was going to pick up the binge drinking club rat stuff after I had my first baby. It was like the choice was the choice was made for me at that point.
1: Yeah. Did you uh, did you start having a new Did when did you wake up one day and really start examining or just having thoughts more about your childhood and the experiences you had as a child actor? And in a realization of a disassociation in those moments that are usually very present for a lot of people.
2: Mental health and talking about mental health is is in such a collective, almost like a village approach that we've been really wonderful at doing uh, after 2020. I mean, TikTok, I think, blew that open for a lot of us in I love that community over there for whenever I'm sharing something. I feel like so uh, received and seen. And even Instagram now, it seems like mental health in general is something that people are okay talking about. But if you had had in the early aughts when we were in Hollywood, if you had said, you know what, I think I need to take a break from this pilot season for my mental health, they would have been like, she's done. She's a liability. She's not coming back from this. Like there would have been so many caveats to putting yourself first. Uh, and so I'm really quite happy that I got sober and then had a baby, which kind of put me in self-elected quarantine because prior to 2020, I was in quarantine, you know, with a newborn. And then I had another one 26 months later, and that was the February before the March of, 20, yeah, of March 2020. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I'm sorry. I had her in 2019, but it all blurs together. It all my blurs point. together when Where you're just, that little. When yeah. you have the newborns, yeah, you're just like, my life is completely changed. Um, and everything about it has to change, right? And so I took a moral inventory, I would say, from the time I had my first kid to, I would say, at some point in 2020 is when I started maybe having some triggers to drink again, and it was because we were all so stressed out, and mm. I think my husband and I started thinking about ways to make uh sponsored content that was for YouTube rather than just sponsored content I was doing on you know Instagram for social you know sponsorships, and we were like, "Well, what if we start to build something together and uh that was extremely healing, and what I hadn't anticipated was coming. Up with ideas that touched on the past, right? So nostalgia is my brand. People know me as this like throwback millennial person, and I think that that's a very healthy. I have a very healthy relationship to that legacy uh, because I know everything that was the good side of it and everything that was maybe not so good, and I've made peace with all of that. And so, because I'm in that place, people feel like it's okay to talk about that stuff with me. And it, it really is. Um, but it also seems like you
1: had to get to a healthy place with it. Like, did was that part of the process? Like, you had to get to a healthy place? I, like, here, I'll, like, an example is, like, I I could very easily look back on I had like a a prom a show that I was on I played a singular prominent character and I know that I can look Mm -hmm. back and be like and no this is like I don't want this to be a part of who I am and but but I also love television and I love shows and I love people and characters that have been there like in as this like comfort blanket when I'm going through stuff and so I know that like there is a absolutely a period of time you know, where it's like letting go of ego and just enjoying the ride a bit and like really honoring the experiences you've been through. And then also honoring like that, even though it's not necessarily you, but the, the, this part that you've been a part of someone's daily life or not you, but something you were a part mm-hmm. of was a part of someone's life. And so we're making peace with all of that. Whereas I look back on my early 20s and I think I've had a have like asking like a 20 year old to have that perspective. It's like, no, I'm at the, like the start of it all. And I have to push things away and I define who I am. And then like, now that I'm older, I'm just like, no, this is all really fucking cool and great and amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why, like, why am I taking it all so fucking seriously? Um, and, and then it's such a better relationship with it. Do you feel like you went through that? like did you have to experience that over time or was that just hmm. always there having a healthy relationship with the brand of nostalgia
2: dead on um i i i i i definitely love when people come up to me and they're like you're my childhood because what i found about people that come up to me is that they revert back to their childlike wonderment of disney and like i guess the moments that i touched them in a positive way so I can't help but feel very motherly to my fans. And like with that, I'm like, I want to hug you. And I want to, you know, I, so I'm very, I I was always like that. And to like Shia Raven and Hillary's credit as some of the OG Disney stars, they've always been good with their fans. Um, I don't know about Shia. I think he's like punched out a few people, but I think they were acting crazy to him. So um but in general like with our fans it was something that was very special to us to be a part of their lives from day one it was sort of like part of being the part of the disney machine is like you could touch these kids in a way that that you know no one else could so all of us did never took that for granted to my knowledge and so we i carry that with me um and and but i did feel forgotten i will tell you that i felt forgotten for a long time and especially when you see these you know, every single week there would be something that was like, you know, where are they now on, um, Buzzfeed Mm -hmm. and, and, or one of the other ones. And it was just kind of like this narrative, like, like you would be a part of that. Yeah. I would be a part of that. Yes. I would be one on the list. Mm -hmm. And then I would have to say to myself, Oh, Why am I not the first on the list? That means I'm not as prioritized. It's like even in the failures, you're like, I need to be the best failure, or it's just like you can't win. The system is so, you know, meant to make you feel like shit. So you're your own advocate, which is what over time I'm I'm realizing. um, And by the way, still have not perfected. Right, and it's not
1: real. Like that Buzzfeed thing is not. You know what I mean? You know exactly where you are, and you're surrounded by your beautiful children your, your husband, people who love you, you know, delicious, yeah. expensive mocktails, you know, like you, you're, I love the like, mocktails.
2: <laughs> but like, you
1: know that. And I think that that's like, that's the slippery slope is like also realizing like how it's not real. Like that's all just, it's none of that is yeah. real. It's so baseless, but it's easy to slip into I that mindset, that. Okay. especially when you've grown up thinking that like, that is real. That like the burn book is a real thing, you know, that like, that's like the Bible, like where Us Weekly back in the early aughts was like the Bible and everyone, it was this holy scripture of Hollywood that everyone had to grace the pages
2: of. And it was all just entertaining
1: bullshit, which I still gobble Mm -hmm. up and think is fantastic because I I know it's not real.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Do you like reality shows?
1: Oh yeah, and I love like celebrity okay. gossip. I'm like all up on Dumois. Like yes, I want to know where Timothy oh, Chalamet was great. eating. I love that stuff. <laughs> it's my like mental meditation. That's just ridiculous, and so but yes, yes. um. But going back to like it. yeah, you'd see yourself in in like this. Where are they now? But like reclaiming that narrative for yourself. Did that happen? overnight or did it take time when you're really exploring this like brand of nostalgia that you've really, I think, not only created a wonderful place for people to come up and say hello to you and give you a hug and kind of embody this childlike, um, you know, m- you know, experience. Um, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen in these really, really, you know, it's a wild world out there. So it is nice to indulge in like childlike moments where we just get to experience like this pure moment of joy. But also in in like leading up to your podcast, like really being vulnerable with people in these YouTube videos you've created, like your walk and talks where you're telling stories about, you know, with the psychic or telling stories about you know, that you had this record deal and then it went away Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. bringing back people from the Disney years on your cooking show and giving the same, this wonderful safe place to like walk down memory lane and be like, yeah, fuckers, we are here and we have wonderful lives. (laughs) Like they, they just, (laughs) you know, uh, did that happen slowly to realize that nostalgic brand or did you like kind of wake up one day and go like, I'm reclaiming this narrative and I know where I am. And I'm gonna make sure everyone knows where I am too. And cause it's pretty fantastic.
2: Aw. Um, I think it started with Comic-Cons, where, you know, again, we were doing sponsored content already as I was building my Instagram presence, which still isn't even that big, but um, like TikTok, I've got 1.1 you know, million. And it's so wonderful because one with Instagram, it was always like, if you hit 1 million, you're going to make a lot more money for any kind of sponsored content that you can make. And I'm going to tell you and your audience that like, and you know this, that like, Having to be on set for 12 hours a day when you have little kids, it, it can rob you of that time, I would imagine, that you have with them. Or it can at least stretch you pretty thin.
1: I didn't know and, my one-year-old um, spoke sign language, so I'll just say that.
2: Yes, <laughs> she knew sign language <laughs> as a baby
1: and I didn't know that.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh my God, I love it. And it's like you can't help but say, okay, if I had, if I had the ability to only choose to do projects that I wanted to do... Um, because if I post something, I'm going to make more than the entire movie that, you know, I go somewhere out of state to go film. Like, what would I do? And so to have that kind of uh, privilege, luxury, and also uh, responsibility to not get canceled and, you know, by anybody that's like, Hey, like, I don't like the way you said this, you know, or I don't like the way that you dressed in this, you know, whatever. I'm a very, I, I, I'm a very pretty much unproblematic person. I've realized (laughs) because I just want everyone to get along and I'm a people pleaser. Um, so generally speaking, it's a lot of work to understand how to navigate your brand in, in, in a way that's sponsor friendly, but yet still authentic and vulnerable. And, um, you know, I've had to make I've had to make some choices I find in talking about, you know, Nickelodeon and sometimes I mention Disney, but generally speaking, I believe in Disney magic and I believe in um a, so much of what they do that I'm I'm not one that's going to like be like, "Oh my god, like F Disney blah blah blah." That's not what I'm doing with whenever I talk about my past. But there are there th- there is a system that I like to talk about when it comes to child labor and that really doesn't have anything to do with them. So that's a risk. You know what I'm saying? Like there's risks that I take um, in my brand. But over time, I guess what I'm trying to say is how I, I realized at the comic cons that people are like, where are you? What are you doing? How are you doing? What's your life like? And I said, okay, well, if I started a YouTube channel, there would be a way for me to reconnect with my fans because I did feel forgotten about. So it was kind of like, wow, could I actually like have a fan base again, like is there a way for me to exist and be on people's minds and maybe a larger way? I had very little expectations going into all this like i didn't think that I was worthy of people 's views and clicks and stuff like that. I was just like, "What do I do? Sign me up let 's get creative and you did, and you did it very well,
1: and not to mention um not even just in the social media um atmosphere but also podcasting with your vulnerable podcast and also your podcasting company podco uh what was it in the last week you had like top three within the top 10 you guys had three podcasts within the top 10 just crushing it um Thank you want to share with uh our audience a little bit just your uh a few of the other podcasts that you guys represent and um absolutely absolutely
2: Oh my gosh! I'm so excited. I'm so, I knew the thank Lawrence you for brothers
1: back me. in the day too.
2: <laughs> you did? Oh my gosh! They're So sassy. Like some sort
1: of like a disposable camera photo album of just like oh, all girl. like every. It's <laughs> no of everyone that we've been talking that I would just always take a disposable yeah. with me. But it's just so funny. I, it was just. I watch. just want
2: to say this. I know we would have been friends. I hundred percent can call it. I we would have told totally to you too. Yes,
1: I mean, I was also, I was, also, I was trouble. I was also at the clubs. I was a club rat back in the day, just <laughs> girl. I mean, at all of them, Essex, when Spider,
2: <laughs> Oh yeah,
1: Boyer, <all> Hyde, <laughs> okay, yes, Hyde, girl, and then Paris Sunday Stolten's night jazz night. Sunday night jazz nights. A guys was still my favorite. Do you remember? Oh, the I didn't. Sundays? I was. I
2: think. Yeah. Well, I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of things in a lot of places lot of in that the, the West Hollywood area blur together. <laughs> I'm like, was that a gay bar? No, okay, I don't
1: know. <laughs> okay, but back to the Lawrence brothers and in PodCo, yeah, and you guys have been crushing sure. it.
2: Now, mom life is real. I live in Austin, Texas, and um, basically what I do is um, I do vulnerable uh, in person at our studios in West Hollywood. Um, and we decided that we wanted to start making more podcasts because and you and your husband, you do all this together. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, it's my husband, the, the, the white knight guy, um, who I, I, I inherently am like, damn it. Why'd I have to find a white knight? Why couldn't I have done it on my own? But he's amazing girl. He is just like, I mean, I love him. I really do. I love him. He work he works so hard for our family and, um, he's so creative that he's the one that truly bedded down with me and said, what is your brand? What do you want to talk about? You are valuable. Let's give them what they want. Let's do it. And I was like, I'll take the risk and okay, let's go. And I never looked back and I I put my hand in his and he's made it happen for me this whole time. And so I have to give him his props because you know, not every guy is shitty. (laughs) There's some good ones out there. Um, so basically we started Podco, we went live with it, I would say a little like four or five months ago. And we have the idea behind it that we're creating iconic conversations and iconic moments with iconic people. And, uh, we have this great logo. It's super colorful. And we have some really great rewatch podcasts currently, but then we also have, so we have Wizards of Waverly Pod. And we have Ned's Declassified, uh, which is their rewatch podcast. We have Vulnerable, which is not a rewatch. And then we have uh, the um, Brotherly Love podcast. And that's with the Lawrence Brothers. So Podco is about to be featured here in Austin at the Austin TV Festival. And all of my hosts are going to fly here. And I'm throwing a party because I'm just like, so excited. I'm like, they're in Austin. Oh my gosh. You know how when people come to visit you? You're like, oh my gosh, they're in my city. And like, I'm so proud of it. And I just want to like,
1: Oh, yeah. No, life. I have a bunch of friends that will be in town this week. And I'm, I'm like, okay, so what time do you land here? And then on Saturday, we'll do this. And then we can do hiking. And then we can do this. Like, I've already got like,
2: all the dinner That's reservations. So cool.
1: I I'm love the that. Same There's some way. good
2: food in Nashville. There's some really yes, good Yes, I mean, food well, Austin too. Yes, yes, yes.
1: I feel yeah. like all of California went to Nashville or Austin. <laughs> and then all of New York went down <laughs> yeah. to Florida.
2: Yes, 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 and now and now either they're regretting it or they're staying. Yeah, and now know. we're all just like fighting for our
1: political rights. But you know, that's a that's exactly. a very different podcast episode. <laughs> oh, God, I,
2: love it. I was like, like, are,
1: like who, who, yeah, but that's that's, that's, a, that's a whole other episode. Yeah. But you're, but you're, blooms. but you're crushing it. We've super bloomed. We have super, we have super bloomed, in, in so many ways. But I, <laughs> but I truly am just so excited. It's been um, beautiful to follow to not only like get to know you and research for for sitting down with you today, but also to follow your career. I mean. And just as someone who, who also like was watching all those shows and was in the city at the, around the same time, you know, it's, it's yeah. a fucking marathon, man. It's not a sprint. And it's also when you have the ability to actually have the balls to enjoy it, I think is like the, like the best thing in the world. And it makes me sad to think sometimes when people forget to do that or like never get to that point. And so I just uh, want to commend you for just, uh, enjoying it and having, like, just where, like, you are exactly where you are meant to be. And that is all because of you. And yes, you have, it sounds like you have a wonderful, you know, white knight husband, but also, um, (laughs) make sure to give yourself some credit because the, the work that you've not only done professionally, but, um, But the work that you've done for yourself and then been willing to share with others about like your ups and downs professionally, your sobriety, your, you know, sense of self. And uh, I think is like that's the really beautiful thing that people not only respond to, but um, that helps them and encourages them as they walk through their own life, too. And uh, so, well done. Girl, that's well why we done.
2: would have been friends, see? Because you would have told me this.
1: <laughs> Anytime. I got you. Well, as we cool down, I always <laughs> like to ask my guests five last little remaining questions. It's just like easy okay. breezy word association or the first thing that pops in your mind, a sentence. But, uh, all right. So tell me, Christy, what's something that you, something that you like?
2: Baths. Are you bubble bath, bath oil, bath salts? Bath salts. Epsom, okay. Or what is it? Yeah. Yep. Dr. Doctor- yep. Something's. Yeah. The the one doctor
1: who like who, who's just rushing the salt game. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it was <a> giant <laughs> Dr. Salt um, Guy.
1: Dr. Salt Guy. Um, okay, something that you know.
2: <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll say I was gonna say no nothing. Um no, no, no. Oh god, that's a trick question, girl. I don't um, know anything. What's just something that you know? It could be the smallest little thing. Something that I know. Um
1: like I know that sugar ants will always come in when it rains and they will be the, you know, the thorn in my side for the next, uh, until I f- just remove them from the, my house again.
2: Oh my God. This is such a great question. Why is it stumping me? <laughs> You've stumped me a couple times today, Candace. I did not anticipate it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh girl. Um, what do I know? What do I know? Oh, um, I know because I am Pinterest addict, um, that if you put essential oil, um, on a Kleenex or something and you put it in between <laughs> the toilet paper roll, that it will, it will be like an extra added air Ooh. freshener in your toilet area.
1: That's amazing. I love that. Pinterest. See, I didn't know that. And now I do. <laughs> so thank you. Um, something yeah. that you hate. Oh, um,
2: Hate is such a strong word. Um, I know.
1: And I don't use that word. I don't, it's this is the only time where I yeah. actually really allow for that it. word
2: because it's the I know we me too. It.
1: Yeah. H A T E. I know. I say <laughs> we don't hate it. We, we strongly dislike it. But in this yeah. instance, I feel like for adults, okay. it's nice to be able to say, like, I hate it. Like, I hate, I hate blue it. cheese. I am 36 oh. year old, years old. I have given it a million shots and I will never like blue cheese and I will never like uni. And I have done all oh, I can to girl, try girl, that was like I them. was going to
2: say. I was going to say uni. I was going to say uni for real. Um, well, now that you took that. <laughs> no, you um, oh, God. That. Oh, God. How many yeah, times have you tried uni. uni? How many times have people like, been twice? like,
1: nobody- you haven't tried this uni? Yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> you're like, it's so expensive. And I'm like, yeah. it still sucks. Like, why? Now it's like. Yeah, every time. Every time.
1: All right. I get that. Um, Okay. Something that you love that is not your children or your family or your Aww. friends, but something that you love. I
2: know. <laughs> oh, God. um, Amazon. <laughs> it's, it's bad. I know. It's I know. bad. <laughs>
1: I know. Every time I'm like, I'm going to delete it. I'm just going to delete it. And I'm like, I can't. That's just crazy.
2: You can't quit I it. You wish I wish you could quit it,
1: but you can't. I'm, I'm, <laughs> on a, I'm on a hiatus from Postmates. I had to delete that for a minute.
2: I feel not, that. No, I Postmates feel, yeah. is amazing
1: because it's too good. This is a shout out to Postmates. You can, you can sponsor this podcast. Hey, podcast, sponsor Postmates. the heck out of her. She's yes, awesome. and then I'll sign back up. But right now I'm having to take a sabbatical because it's too, it's too good. Um, but what is... You love Amazon. Okay, and then last but not least, yeah. what's a quirky little fact about you?
2: Oh my god! <laughs> Quirky little fact about me: I'm really good at d- dialects, right? Like, um, really, people don't know that. I'm I was the voice of Kim Possible, and so I'm a voice actress and whatnot. But like, I because we didn't really talk about that, which is not important. Don't worry about it. But I, I, I think that I'm a very good uh, a mimic of dialects and um, uh, like voice matches. So I've done like Uh. voice matches for Kristen Bell um, and I've done some really random voice matches, but I have to like be in the studio and I have to have the sample and then I Mm -hmm. line it up and I'm like, I just am really good at voice matches. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. I am the opposite. Like I am awful. Like recently I had to (laughs) even send in an audition to like have a bad fake British accent and it was still like, I was like, I'm sorry. Like it's not even like it was (laughs) so bad. Can it's I hear like, you are fake you even British trying? Accent? no, 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 you cannot, because <laughs> okay. it is disrespectful oh, to man. British people. It's just it's <laughs> so bad. She's kind of British, maybe Australian, and a little—is she Scottish? Is she a drunk Scot or just trying to be British? We don't know. We don't know, <laughs> but it's bad. Um, but uh, but I so that is a that great quirky Nashville, perfect. Oh uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go out for mocktails, and I will yes, <laughs> I just please. impress you with my with my British accent, um, Christy. <laughs> it is so nice to finally like actually meet you and hang out. Thank you so much for for joining me on a Super Bloom and this was so fun. This has been a Super Bloom podcast hosted by me Candace King, produced by Melissa Demonts and Diamond Imprint Productions, and advertisement partnerships with Acast.